you cannot say I'm not interested in politics because politics is very much interested in you. Forever thankful for the ANC and, sure. and the government and the political transition. That, however, does not mean I, I am on, in two views about there is a need for change. We just got to a point where we were tired of being armchair commentators, mm -hmm. critics, and all of that, and we said, what can we do? So the whole architecture of it, including who comes into power and all of that, mm. that was done by big business. That's not a secret. The concept of a job, today we talk about it as if it is a, the most obvious natural thing. But actually a job is an absurd concept. You cannot have the bulk of society asking for empowerment from 7 to 8% of the population. Spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by the national leader of citizens, Mr. Jan Mohanwa. Mr. Mohanwa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, uh, Caesar, for the time. Absolutely. Tell us more about the aims and objectives and what citizens is, because it's an interesting organization that's making a political contribution, but not necessarily in any of the traditional ways. Yeah, so one of the challenges we face today in South Africa is that if you think about it, uh, the most skilled South Africans are typically professionals, mm. but it turns out those are the least engaged uh, members of society. So it would appear as if uh, we have taken the most complex tasks in the country, but we have relegated that to the least skilled people. Sure. Um, but having said that, it is not out of lack of interest that professionals are not participating. It's just that often for most people, the nature of their work and their business does not allow them to be the face of the next shutdown in, in the mm. nearest town next to you. So mm. what citizens seeks to do is to engage the space, to say, you know, you can contribute knowledge, you can contribute skills. Uh, you cannot say I'm not interested in politics because politics is very much interested in you. You know, the, the joke I often make with them is when you say I am focused on my business, I cannot be involved in politics is mm. almost tantamount to arguing for a cabin upgrade as the Titanic is sinking. Now, when this thing sinks, mm. it doesn't really matter what you've been focused on. So that's really what citizens seeks to do. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and tell us about your journey, because you've been involved in uh, many high places within the corporate world. Uh, take us through some of the experiences that you've been through, which led you to, you know, your position now as national leader. Yeah, so in many ways, my story is not too different to the story of many South Africans. And I, I call it the, the generations that got the political luck. Why? Because you know, I matriculated in 95 and... The reason why that matter is a year after 1994. Mm, mm. And uh, we had the political luck in the sense that uh, the transition meant there were more opportunities uh, for people like me at institutions like VIRTS and all of that. Mm. Um, and and interestingly, whenever you know I say this, people say, no, but does it mean you did not work hard and whatever? I'm saying we were lucky in the sense that there would have been other generations before us who were probably equally, uh, you know, uh, high aptitude, talented, whatever. Absolutely. They just went in the wrong, wrong generation. Sure. So in may, many ways, I am forever thankful for the political transition. We mm. can say much of the credit we give mm. to the ANC and all of that, but whoever contributed to the political transition, yeah. uh, I'm forever thankful. Sure. Because that meant uh, I could grow into corporate. Uh, my first job was in IT, later on banking. Mm. And probably my last big job was as the chief executive of retail banking at APSA. Mm. I've traveled across the world. And, and all of that is just mainly out of the luck of being of maturing as a young person at a particular mm. stage in the mm. transition of this country. So... I am therefore forever, you, you know, you're not going to be surprised. I'm forever thankful for the ANC and, sure. and the government and the political transition. That, however, does not mean I, I am on, in two views about there is a need for change. You know, mm. I think people have to get used to managing this seeming contradiction. You can acknowledge the work that the ANC has done, but you can still say 
is time up. Mm. Um, mm. You know, we need change. What gets me here to, to your question mm. is uh, one of the things that happens as you grow professionally is you kind of like, it becomes an individual success. Sure. It becomes about your family. You move them into a security estate mm. and all of that. Mm. It is as if you think you can build a cocoon around yourself and your family in the middle of dysfunctional system. Mm. But what is happening now is, um, you know, the kids, some of the kids, the kids are starting to move out of home. And you can't help but ask the question, what type of society are they going to find? So the, the safety you've been giving them within your closed space, mm. secure space, high security, all of that. Mm. Now you kind of realize, oh, damn, I need to go and free them up to face the society. What type of society? Mm. Uh, so I'm very much also just driven by that self-interest. Like, what type of country do I want to see for not only my kids, but you know, future generations. So that's really, that's really what gets me here. Absolutely. Can, before we come to your experience in citizens and some, some of the interesting proposals that you're putting onto the table to take us to that next phase in our country's history, CEO of retail banking at, you know, one of the big banks in, in our country, that's, that's one of the toughest jobs in, in the corporate world. Retail banking, that's, you know, the average person and, you know, their, their experience with the financial sector, yeah. their financial life. What kind of lessons did you learn in in what must have been a very high pressure job, which required intense delivery every day? Um, what kind of lessons did you learn there? And and was it in that in that role, or was it in roles before where you started to think, wait a second, something's going wrong more widely in the country, and it's not just a hurdle; it's actually a, a structural political challenge. Interestingly, uh, Susan, my, my thinking around what is going on in the country country actually started with my interest in, so although my background is in IT, my, my studies are in economics and all of that, mm. uh, and, and the usual, I always, they say MBA people have to mention that they're MBA, like the <laughs> quickest way to find out if someone is doing or has done yeah. an MBA, well. they'll tell you. So, yeah. <laughs> But uh, my you hope is, PhDs, yeah, right? yeah, well, that's a different thing altogether. <laughs> the doctors have been in trouble in South Africa <laughs> lately. I assure you there's a certificate. <laughs> I can produce the certificate. Interestingly, my, my interest in the politics of South Africa started with my interest in human behavior. So although mm. my background is tech and finance and economics, sure. I'm just fascinated by human behavior, mm. you know, and, uh, and, uh, and what you tend to realize as you go down this path is we are all driven by some form of self-interest, you know, like, um, and therefore, uh, by the time I got to a senior role inside APSA, I was already starting to become a lot more enlightened around, actually, if you look at almost all people's behavior, what should tell you a lot about them is not so much the politics is their interest. Is is sure. even some people who look like they really mean bad. But if you actually say, why would it be in their interest mm. to behave this way? Mm. You know, so for example, uh, you know, my senior role was at APSA, and and that's already a very interesting environment sure. with a very complex history mm. and all of that. Mm. Mm. But I could look at my colleagues who were white and Africans, and then instead of saying, oh, I'm expecting this ambush from uh, these people who come from a different background, yeah. I realized that deep down they are human beings who actually, the underlying thing they're trying to solve for is to solve for their interest. Mm. So uh, bashing them and uh, labeling them bad and all of that, it's not going to help. Mm. My issue is going to be how do I ensure that they understand that they are competing interests, some of them are in the national interest, and how do we find a way? Uh, and, and for a long time, I just did not feel like that type of conversation is happening. In South Africa, there are just deep, entrenched, narrow interests. Mm. Uh, and I think what is missing is the, a, a new tribe that talks to what is common in terms of interest for South Africa. It will take a long time to mm. build that type of tribe because mm. uh, it will have to pull members from all of this individually entrenched interest. So I'll say it has been a good 20-year process mm. to get to this stage. Mm. 
uh, why now? I think, I think kids leaving home was the personal trigger. Sure. But I think a lot of things happening in the ANC was the second trigger that I'm mm. sure we can talk to when we talk about the dynamics. In, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's it's an interesting institution that you that you endeavor to build because take us through on the one hand how it's somewhere between it's not a formal political party but you are registered with the iec yeah nor is it just your traditional ngo or non-governmental uh player how did you come to that kind of almost hybrid model of what's needed right now yeah so citizens was started by a group of professionals and and as you can imagine many of them are preoccupied with their everyday business right yeah. so yeah uh but I, we just got to a point where we were tired of being armchair commentators, mm -hmm. critics, and all of that. And we said, what can we do? Um, interestingly, uh, the first few discussions we had, uh, you know, the, the dominant idea became this idea of uh, a, an organization modeled more along the lines of AfriForum, mm. but a lot more inclusive in sure. terms of the interests. Sure. Right? But again, you know, to my point earlier, Afroforum itself, it might make other people angry and all of that, but it's, it's an interest group. That's for sure. Uh, and what we thought to do was, uh, is there a space where we can pre build an interest group that's a lot more inclusive? Mm. Um, and, and so that's the path. I will say that's the dominant path sure. we are going sure. uh, down. Absolutely. Um, the question of do you register with IEC then came mm. uh, because... Part of the feedback in that group was there's enough think tanks in South Africa and mm. commentators. Mm. But all of these think tanks and commentators, who are they asking that they should do something about this thing? Mm. So it's kind of interesting that we are all seeing ourselves as outsiders. Mm. But interestingly, then, who are the insiders? Who are we asking that they should take up these proposals? Mm. Uh, so that's how the group then agreed that uh, you know, at the time when you decide whether you contest elections, don't contest elections, you might not have that option if you're not registered. Sure, sure. So therefore, the decision was made to say, mm. go through the process, mm. register with the IEC, yeah. so that you continue to have the optionality, mm. so that at a point in time, uh, if you feel like contesting elections is a, a viable option, mm. at least the admin part has been taken care of. Yeah. Uh, because as you know, more and more South Africans are saying, uh, you know, there's a growing number of undecided voters. Mm. At the time when we've got more than 300 parties, it's, it's, it's really sounds it's paradoxical that you still have more people saying, I've got no idea yeah. <laughs> you know, which option. So that's that's the the contrast mm. we are working with mm. but i think long term we will be a lot more non-partisan sure uh but of course as i said with the option to mm. uh contest if that becomes necessary and viable thanks for watching smwx before we get back to the episode i just wanted to let you know the four ways that you can help support this channel if you want to see us growing bigger and better to keep you more entertained and informed the first way is you can invite me to speak at your company, your school, your institution. You'll see the contact details down below. The second way is that you can become a member of this channel. Become a member or you can give us a thanks. You'll see there's like a heart with a dollar sign in the ribbon below this video. Buy me and the team some coffee for this episode. The third way you can get involved is you can advertise on the channel. Now, I'd much rather the community of viewers would be advertisers on this channel than me going out to people who don't really know about SMWX and trying to explain it to them. So if you're a viewer and you have a business and you want to partner and you love this platform, let's partner on this channel. And then finally, you can buy merchandise, you can buy books. All this is in the description down below. Now let's get back to the episode. Mm, it, it's, it's a nice strategic decision actually because I think people feel like they often have to choose one or the other and then live by that. Whereas giving yourself the chance, maybe it evolves down the formal political route, but maybe not. Maybe, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, but you, I mean, the administrative parts of the political process yeah, yeah, hold so. so many people up. They want to contest and then suddenly they realize, oh, we need to raise this absolutely. amount and, and all of that. Absolutely. So 
an inclusive Afri forum. I think that's something that that people have been yearning for for a long time in our country. Because you can't deny, you know, Afri forum. Yes, they lose a few cases, but they're, they're a force to be reckoned with oh, because absolutely. yeah, they're they're organized. They know their agenda and and they they implement it. And wouldn't it be wonderful if if we could get that energy to put pressure on on the state, but also include citizens not for one ethnic purpose but yeah. for a, a wider agenda absolutely we we need to define what that agenda is you know mm. so but to your point on afri forum mm. i mean the last numbers i saw this is this is an organization with about 300,000 mm. uh members mm. you know paying members mm. uh, the story is this members pay about 150 a month you work that out that's about 45 million a month Sure. Right. Yeah. That's serious. Uh, now, three hundred thousand is not going to win you elections, mm. right? But they have been able to make it a very influential base, mm. you know. So, and uh, we think along similar lines in terms of professional professionals as a segment is mm. not a majority segment in South Africa. Mm. That part is clear, sure, because South Africa is mostly low income, poor, and Absolutely. all of that. But can you get a sizable base mm. that is influential by virtue of their knowledge and spending power and all of that, Absolutely. whatever? So that's the aspiration. But the reason why we went for professionals, because again, mm. Mm. And, uh, it's, uh, it, this thing is all tribes, right? Now, tribe, uh, tribalism is not a bad way. Every one of us is a member of a tribe. But all we tend to do is to build a tribe that is inclusive. Mm. And and much of the tribes in South Africa have been along racial lines or ethnic lines, but professionals is not along any one of those lines. Mm. So the idea is over time you can have this this tribe that is not defined by ethnicity or by race. Yeah. Uh, but it's a long journey because while we all all of us have got in many instances, up to seven identities, they are all not equally dominant. Mm. Uh, for a long time in South Africa, race was a very dominant form of identity. Sure. But you hope over time you can build an identity that over time supersedes mm. the race and ethnic uh, identity. Uh, so it will be a long journey. It will not necessarily attract the highest number of people in the beginning. Sure. But you have to be able to say, uh, perhaps my group runs th with this thing for another 10 to 15 years, but mm. the idea is the next generation that takes it over actually does not start from scratch. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. That's, that's and, really... You know, one of the things we see on this channel a lot is is people analyzing the situation, showing us how bad and how much worse things even seem to be than we thought they were. Yeah. But in, in a lot of the comments, people ask for what are the solutions? Where are yeah. the places we can we can help? And it seems like what what is driving citizens is let's get beyond the complaints and let's, in whatever way we can as professionals, start proposing and probably implementing actual solutions to some of these longstanding challenges. No, no, absolutely. I think often, you know, if you misdiagnose the problem, then we are going to end up in an equally sure. uh, same or worse problem. Sure. Uh, and I say this to many of the people we work with, that even if you look at the performance of the ANC mm. and you take the context of the people who are within the ANC, uh, I'm not too sure many of us will fare any better. Think mm. about it. You've got, because who, who did we end up with inside the ANC? It was the cadre who was at home with no options and all mm. of that, right? Mm. This is mm. not people who were massively successful in their careers somewhere. Mm. Right, you are looking for a way out, and then suddenly you control a one billion budget. But by the way, it is uncertain how long you will be able to control this mm. budget. Mm. Uh, now, under those circumstances, most people will say, "How do I ensure that when this opportunity passes, mm. I've taken care of myself?" Yeah, right? and so, my family probably. So, if we obsess a lot about the ANC, then we might miss the point that says mm. anything but the ANC. Mm. Mm -hmm but we will end up either in the same place yeah. uh, or in a worse place. Mm. Um, and South Africa has been here before where at some point it was anything but Tabombeg or anything but Jacob Zuma mm. and, um, mm. and all of that. So, so we think there has to be a lot more rationality understanding what the issues are, yeah. why we are where we are, 
a need for change, I think many leaders struggle with telling an evolution story because evolution is not judgmental. Evolution says we are here for all sorts of reasons, good, bad, and all of that. Mm. What can we do that's different? Um, uh, people struggle with that in corporate and I guess also in politics. So for mm. me and the group I'm working with, we we don't want to spend time talking about what the ANC got wrong. That much is documented very much elsewhere. Sure, sure. But what can we do from here? What has worked? What has not worked? Mm. You know, that's the space we are in. Well, let's get into some of that because take us through uh, some of the proposals that you're putting on the table that, that you believe could be game changers for the country going forward if we implement. I know you've got a, a range of different proposals, but which ones do you think are, are the key levers that we can pull to, to get the most uh, bang for our buck if we, were to, if we were to implement those changes? Yeah, so so, so the one my my favorite uh, sitcom is is Big Bang Theory, and in one of the episodes, mm. uh, Penny asks Sheldon to teach him a little physics. I think he says, uh, mm. and then Sheldon is struggling with this because no matter where he starts, there is no a little physics. You know, mm -hmm. it has to go to uh, old time Greece and <laughs> and all that. So, yeah. And I think. Part of the thing about South Africa is if we don't understand the underlying issues of why we got here, yeah. uh, then you might miss the point around the solution. Now, clearly, we don't have uh, 300 years to talk about the history, mm. uh, but uh, South Africa has been really a, a country built on systemic suppression. Even if we go to uh, the recorded history of 1652, but the key character in that space was was actually guns, right? So, you know, whenever there's a child somewhere feeling inf inferior because they are black or a white child feeling superior, uh, this was not about race superior, it was guns. You know, the, the, the natives did not have guns. But, but what is important that I want to pull as a common thread to mm. come to the solutions mm. is... I think often when people think about the history, they miss that there has always been three key characters in history and in present, and there will also be the same characters in the future. And those three characters are big business, and it is society, and it is politicians. Sure. Now, each one of these groups has got its own self-serving interests. You know, uh, the, the theoretical parts of this will say uh, politicians are looking for legitimacy. Uh, you know, which is in a democratic society comes through votes. Um, the big business is looking for capital accumulation or profit and all of that. Mm. Society is looking for prosperity. Actually, when you think about politics and government, it is how best you optimize between these various parties, mm. right? And in many ways in the history of South Africa, there is of these three parties, the one that is often least questioned is big business. Mm. Big business has always been on the scene, you know. Oh, yeah. Even the Dutch East Indian Company, it was not the arrival of the Dutch. It mm. was a company, mm. right? Mm. So uh, in understanding our problems, land issues, you have to see the role of each one of these parties yeah. Yeah. Uh, for you to understand why we are here. Mm. So to come back to your question around our proposal, so... When we look at the history of South Africa, we think the dominant party, uh, actually since 1652 mm. up to now, business has been setting the, the tone mm. as the funder mm. of politics. Uh, sure. Uh, and we think the parties that we are going to take serious are those that look to renegotiate mm. the terms mm. with big business. Mm. Mm -hmm. Government has made concession after concession after concession. I mean, one of the notable things is, I don't know, most people don't know this, but in 1990, corporate tax rate was 50%. Mm. Today is 27%. Mm. This is just an example of concessions made over time. Yeah. Uh, you know, they said ease exchange controls. And how many times have you had, had we have to create a good environment for investment, mm. foreign mm. that it just never comes, Yeah. right? Uh, no, no matter how many more concessions keep getting no given. No matter how many more concessions. Mm. So where, where we are sitting now, we are sitting with a perfect crisis, right? We are sitting with a legitimacy crisis. 
sure. i.e. the politicians are not as legitimate as yep. they would have been. Yep. We are sitting with a capital accumulation crisis mm. because business is not able to make the same amount of profits they used to make. Mm. We are sitting with a prosperity crisis. Mm. So it's a perfect crisis. Yeah. When the National Party came out of government, it was mainly legitimacy crisis. Sure. Right? Sure. We have a perfect storm. Mm. So we think a credible party has to be able to negotiate this. So when I hear mm. someone like Uncle Hammond coming and say, I'm a hopeless capitalist, I'm like, okay, mm. there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. But you can't be in government. Because government is not a religious, no, so it's not, you're not coming here to endorse. You mm. have to negotiate the terms between sure. the various parties. You can't, one, one uh, governmental representative can't be the rep of one of the other it social... Can't be. You've lost yeah, sure, absolutely. Sure. You've lost the sure. cause from you know from straight sure. out of the block. Um, I, I love the analysis of the, of the three spheres of society, and and you know I think it's so true that we we don't concentrate enough attention on big business, which has really been running. No, absolutely. Do you think big business runs runs South Africa? I mean, how much influence do you do you think they they actually have over the country? Oh, big business has always run South Africa, so that's mm. why I'm saying the arrival of the of of the Dutch, mm. it was not Dutch the country. It was mm. not the army. Mm. It was it was mm. uh, a Dutch East sure. Indian company. It sure. was a corporate, right? Yeah. Uh, up to that point, then the concessions that politicians had to make it mm. was to accommodate uh, big business. Mm. Um, the Lands Act, you know. So I mean, I don't want to go through the rest of the history, but yeah. post the unionization of South Africa, the Land Act. In many ways, so a commission was appointed um, in in 1912 to deal what was called the native question. So the native question, why the native question? Because at the time, the mining companies were looking for cheap labor. Mm. But their problem is the natives were not coming to take jobs. Sure, sure. Why were the natives not coming to take jobs? The concept of a job, today we talk about it as if it is a, the most obvious natural mm. thing. Mm. But actually a job is an upset concept. Especially when you have land, right? Absolutely. Mm. So so they appoint this commission. People can search for it. It was done in 1912. Mm. So mm. when they go to try and assess why people are not coming for jobs, you can imagine the conversation. Mm. Are you willing to come to, with us to a job? Mm. And a local says, what do you mean? <laughs> What, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, no, so you come with us, you work for us, mm, we mm. pay. No, but why? Mm. Right? Because people had the land. Uh, they were looking after their, you know, livestock mm. and families, right? And they were just not buying the concept of a job that today we take as normal, yeah. right? And to force them to do that, you had to take away their independence and that independence came mm. through land mm. right mm. so they introduced even some ridiculous things like something like a hot tax like hot tax which suggests that if you don't have uh, a brick and mortar building with corrugated iron you need to pay tax and the only way you can pay that tax mm. uh, is to go and get a job sure uh, so so that's how they forced people essentially to move and mm. all of that mm. the reason why though that uh, they also had to put measures on how many black people were in towns was because that has to also to balance with their political uh, legitimacy. The, the white society of the time also wanted to limit competition between the white members of society sure. and the black members of society. Sure, sure. Later on, we can talk about the whole notion of merit and whatever, which is a bogus concept. Mm. Because at oh, the let's... time, merit was not the issue. You know, it's such an interesting <laughs> historical point you make there because apartheid and colonialism before it and the variants, some of which I would argue even come after, you're solving a difficult problem, which is number one, you have to get black people off their land. But then when they come into the places you need them, they can't outcompete with you politically. Absolutely. So you need to 
that's what gives rise to the political suppression Absolutely. once you've done the Absolutely. land dispossession. Absolutely. So it's that two-stage It's two-stage because you see, so, so the politicians, mm. their source of legitimacy was mm. white voters. Sure, sure. So they wanted to protect them. Mm. Interestingly, the first measures of protection against white people mm. as a minority, it was focused on white people. Sure. It's quite upset today that... The, this, the members of society who make up 80% have to seek for protection mm. from the 7%. Mm. It's a weird concept. Mm. You cannot have the bulk of society asking for empowerment from 7 to 8% of mm. the population. Mm. You know, but that has been made normal. So yeah. those were the dynamics. Sure. And, and so therefore, even introductions of things like Calabar, mm. which meant black people could not take certain positions, yeah. that was not a merit. Because if it was merit, you would not have needed a Calabar. Mm. The reason why a Calabar was required, it was to protect white minority interests, which were being outcompeted uh, by the natives. Sure. Right? So that's why the systemic... The systemic destruction of the native competency and independence mm. was very much part of the fabric of the relationship between big business and, uh, and, uh, and politicians, yeah. Yeah. right? So then if you fast track to the transition in uh, 1990, again, that transition was driven by big business. Why? they had figured out that the National Party at the time had lost mm. the legitimacy, right? So they were, they were dealing a legitimacy crisis, mm. which means you are no longer able to ensure a stable environment for business to thrive. Sure. So the whole architecture of it, including who comes into power and all of that, mm. that was done by big business. That's not a secret. That's recorded history. Right. Yeah. Um, when the politicians who were in exile were coming back here, there was no money to look after them. Some of the very notable people, I mean, it's known that someone like Tawumbeki stayed into the, in the Carlton Hotel for a very long period when they were still looking for a place, a permanent place for him to stay. People like Dito and others stayed in townhouses in Yuval. Those were paid for by big business. You know, so big business has been the invisible hand mm. uh, behind <laughs> that, what we... The other kind of the invisible other, hand. Yeah. <laughs> the other kind of invisible hand. A lot of your proposals actually focus around how you would constrain big business in, in the future. So let, let's come to come to that now because if you've analyzed that, you know, a lot of the, the political parties aren't really naming big business as a... Pro yes, they talk about, quote, the economy. I don't yeah. know. The economy yeah, yeah. is the largely economy is, uh, dictated by yeah. uh, big business in, in many different ways. In what ways do you think a big business needs to be constrained and what should we do differently? For example, I, I see that you've proposed and you've already alluded to it that BEE needs largely needs to be scrapped in its current form and replaced with something that's, right. that's much better at that's right. bringing people into the economy without just enriching a few. That's right. So, so... By the way, none of these parties mm. are bad, right? So sure, I sure. don't want the takeaway from this to be big business is bad. Sure. Big business is looking after big business. Yeah, doing what it does It best, will right? look for the lowest cost and the highest price in order to have the highest profit. Absolutely. Politicians are also just doing what they need to do. Society also. Mm. I mean, if people can get uh, prosperity without doing anything you know you'll be crazy to not take it sure. so the issue is not to label any party mm. as bad mm. is how do you balance things out mm. Mm. the thing about south africa though is that when people talk about free economy and all of that you know adam smith talked about this whole concept of free economy but what people ignore is he also said what are the conditions under which free economy is appropriate. Mm. So he spoke about high levels of competition between businesses. So you should not have monopolies, oligopolies, mm. and all of that. Mm. That already South Africa fails that. Because yeah. if you think about many industries in South Africa, yeah. they are dominated by a few. Absolutely. So you are, no long, you are not even making the criteria for conditions for, mm. for free economy. Mm. He said 
there should be highly educated members of society. Mm. Society should be a lot more informed about the options. You fail that in South Africa. So when people make it sound like the choice is between free economy and communism, mm. you're like, no, but mm. actually there is that. There's a whole lot of other options mm. in between. Mm. So we don't want to stifle business. But what we are saying is because of the developmental needs in South Africa, there has to continue to be a role for state to continue to intervene. Mm. But what we need to make a choice, I'm not saying we need hundreds of state-owned enterprises we have today. We have to say what are the things that are critical mm. that if we left them to, f to a big business, the profit motive will mean we will never reach sufficient people. It is, for example, it is too early for us to talk about privatization of anything in energy generation. Hmm. It is too soon for us to talk about privatization of water or privatization mm. of education. Mm. Why? We don't have the conditions for high level of competition between businesses for us to get the, you know, mm. the best value. Mm. Uh, all of the countries that have gone gung-ho and aggressive in this privatization, including UK and Germany and whatever, all of them are now starting to reverse that. Sure. So we think there is space for state to intervene. Mm. People talk about developmental state. That's another thing about the ANC has vulgarized all of these great concepts. <laughs> Developmental state just means there is a point at which government has to intervene for specific outcomes. It might not necessarily be a permanent arrangement. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So this is not a religious choice once mm. you are here and whatever. So what are the interventions? So we have identified what those things are. Mm. Now, mm. there's quite a lot of proposals. We have grouped them into like seven priorities. Yeah. We're not cover, gonna going to cover all seven. I want to talk to the two sure. um, that are most important and, and those we see as social uh, transformation and the education reform. Mm. Uh, you know, people can go on our website, citizens.org, uh, citizens spelled with a Z-A, yeah. and you can find a whole lot of other details there. We'll put that in, the, know, in the description as absolutely. well. Absolutely. We touch on uh, crime and looting. We think part of my, you know, illegal immigrants uh, has to require jail time for those who employ illegal. So there's a lot, but mm -hmm. the two areas I want to focus on is we have to get social transformation and education right. Sure. Now, if I start with social transformation, in there you can include things like land, right? Uh, we. We are not in, again, the false dichotomy is either, you know, expropriation without compensation, expropriation with compensation. Mm -hmm. Our view is actually land is such an important thing, but it is a very complex matter uh, given what has happened over time. Yeah. Uh, we think where government identifies a piece of land for developmental purposes, expropriation should be at cost. Right. So at a bare minimum, you have to pay the current occupant of the land what they paid for the land. Right. And of course, it follows that if you paid nothing for it, you will get nothing sure. for it. Sure. But what you need to do is you need to stop land being a speculative asset mm. that someone says, I'm going to hang on to it with the view, with the expectation that over time mm. it will it will grow in value. Mm. Land has to be valuable for use. It is a limited commodity that we share as society. And we need to continue to have the flexibility around that. Right. So we are a very strong proponent of land uh, at cost. Mm. We don't mm. mince our weights on transformation, uh, whether it is in the workplace uh, and, and anywhere else in society, yeah. uh, for very simple reasons that says, you have to have every child in South Africa looking up at in any sphere and seeing someone who's like them, mm. right? Uh, you know, I grew up uh, in the part of Limpopo uh, where uh, almost all of us wanted to be teachers or police or whatever. And we thought nurses were only ladies, for example. So mm. when a guy said, I'm a nurse, mm. we'd be like, what do you mean? Where's your dress? You know, mm. so... Mm. Uh, you take cue from what you see. And we cannot be in a society where 
a black child looks up in a corporate and they don't see someone like them. Mm. That's a very strong psychological cue that says this is not for me, right? Sure. So the reason we need to obsess with transformation, and yes, we will make some wrong calls and all of that, but the, the reason we need to obsess with it is not for the current generation, mm. is whether we make good appointments, bad appointments, all of that. The important thing is the next generation has to look up mm. and believe mm. that it is possible. Could, could I just go further on that? Because one of the interesting things in your proposals, again, is shifting the, the emphasis onto big business and, and, and saying there needs to be more pressure on big business Absolutely. to actually, because, I mean, let's be honest, big business does the bare minimum when it comes to transformation. Yeah. They get around it and, and they, they find ways and, and there's no real enforcement mechanism at the oh, end no, of the absolutely. day. Um, you, you want to change that and, and actually put a bit more true enforcement on this question of transformation. No, absolutely. And, and, and the, uh, that's a nice segue since we're in the whole idea about marriage, right? Mm. Uh, mm. Which is actually, as I say, it's a absolutely. bogus argument, oh, right? Yeah. It's a crap argument. Uh, first of all, a lot of jobs in South Africa, including in corporate, they are not rocket science, right? Like people make it sound like, you know, like if you were looking for a CEO of mm. Bank X and all mm. of that, you're going to struggle to find people. Absolutely. That's actually not true, right? Uh, initially, the pushback was no qualifications. Mm. Like, you know, job applications in the past used to specify that you should have this degree and an MBA and mm. whatever. Mm. What did black people go and do? They went and studied everything. Yeah. <laughs> three honors, three masters, all of that. That was still not enough. Right. Mm. Then the next stage was they brought in aptitude test. Mm. Aptitude test did not last long because they <laughs> they they were not working the way they were supposed to work. <laughs> because one thing about aptitude is it knows no race. Mm. Right. So these tests were producing undesired results, <laughs> if you like. Right. You know what is the dominant form of assessment today? Personality test. Right. Hmm. The beauty about personality tests is you don't have to specify upfront what type of person you are looking for. Mm. You send a couple of people to these assessments, then it is left entirely to the hiring manager to say, you know, after looking at the profile of the people who did this assessment, mm. I think this person will be a great fit. Mm. Right? Mm. Now, from my obsession with uh, human behavior, I can tell you that psychology, this is no longer a debate. People choose those who are like them. Yeah. Actually, it is easier to be a racist than to not. Because actually racism, in terms of physiology, is the most natural thing. You are seeing a person who's like you. Uh, the difficult thing is actually to do uh, the mm. opposite, mm. right? Mm. So merit, merit is not... If you said, I'm looking for a CEO today, merit will produce a lot of people. Mm. It might not be thousands of them, but there'll be more than 20 people who qualify. Sure. The decisions then are made by individuals. Mm. And these individuals have got the same biases uh, that we all have as human beings. Mm. They are likely to appoint someone who is like them. They are not bad people. They are human. All right. And that's why one of the one of the people I really love what he has done is Razi Rasmus. And I know uh, Springboks are the favorite thing to talk about. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, I, I suggest people must read his book, Razi. Mm. Uh, it's one of the books I brought here mm. Uh, mm. that we will close. Uh, what he did, he said, I'm not so I'm not going to do transformation in the Springboks as a compliance, as a tick box exercise. Mm. I'm going to try and understand, are there good black you know, uh, players with yeah. potential to play for the national squad? Yeah. And now when I'm looking, you can't be looking at St. Stevens and St. John's and you say it did not produce the talented black people. Mm. He went out to the townships and the black schools. Mm. And then he found... Uh, Makasole Mapimpi and mm, uh, mm. Uh, the captain. And, and mm. then he said, you are not in the environment that is going to help you realize your potential. Mm. 
they created a program called Elite, uh, you know, Player Program, and then they give them the necessary support mm. to be able to realize their potential. Mm. That's an example of a person who genuinely wants to see transformation, yeah. and not necessarily just to preserve. Right. Yeah. So that's what we have to do. We're going to have to uh, create opportunity and enforce it. Mm. Um, the 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 other part of this is this thing of reverse racism, right? Which is often brought out to yeah. say, does transformation means reverse racism? Mm. I, I'll tell you that the first thing is partly no, but I think there is an element that suggests reverse racism. Uh, let me start with the no. The no is, listen, it is unsustainable that in a society where more than 80% of people are black, they should be looking for empowerment from 7 to 8% people. Sure. That, that has to be accepted as, you know, it cannot continue. Mm. Mm. The thing that I think there's some element of it is that, you know, when people talk about transformation, they talk about the power of diversity, right? Sure. Uh, now, diversity does not mean, mean entirely black, mm. right? Mm. Where I have issues with the current uh, employment equity uh, issues, which will create us a problem in the long term. For example, the best candidate for diversity today is a black woman, right? And of course, we need to bring more women into the corporate. But the laws today, they reward handsomely the teams that are 100% women. Mm. I think that's a problem because that's not diversity. The fact that you have an underrepresented group, that does not mean a group made up entirely of people in that under, mm. that does not mean that's a good outcome. Sure. Because sure. diversity has to mean we still have to see white people in teams. We still have to see colored people in teams, mm. Indian people in teams. Well, well, what we have seen with with the corporate world is because white women are included in the designated groups, often companies will just swell their ranks oh, with, with white women. Absolutely. And again, that's 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 not the outcome. That's unacceptable. We, we Absol want absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but so that, that of course we need sure. to fix. Sure. But we must also be careful that we don't end up with, and and this is true of most government departments. Mm. They are almost hundred percent black. Sure. That's the, not the diversity either. Yeah. No, true, right? true. So, so, and that's why even in my professional experience, mm. I mm. never sought to create a fully black team. Yeah, sure. I've created majority black teams mm. for sure, mm. but there were still good white people in the team, good Indian people in the team, good colored people And that's people our competitive advantage. That's when, our competitive when advantage. We find, when we find the unity across the different perspectives, absolutely. Absolutely. that's where we can build something truly uh, new, fresh, and special. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so land we touched on. Sure, sure. Uh, land, as you said, like you know, I think the idea of expropriation without compensation practically it's complex. And by the way, we also, if we wanted to be true to ourselves, there is land that historically belongs to Lesotho, Botswana, and Swaziland. Uh, so at some point, you have to draw a line and say there have been conquests, right? Sure. Um, and then say, okay. How do we continue to share this this asset? Well, you know? it's nice to hear a clear answer on that as well. It's you know because I feel like people are just moving between different blurry answers. Yeah. Okay, expropriation at cost. It's it's that's, that's it. the one we no. think can work. Let's try that out. Let's experiment. Let's try that out and, and see how it works. You no, know, absolutely. Yeah. So you need to get value from what you do with the land. Sure. Not that I'm hogging it. Mm. Mm. Uh, you know, so those are some yeah. of our ideas in our social transformation. The last one that, you know, has triggered some controversy is the idea of language. Because mm. uh, South Africa actually in practice still only has two official languages, English and Africans. You can read the Gazette, you can read the regulations as they come up. They continue to be in English and Africans, mm. right? Mm. Uh, the investment that's required to be able to give uh, a lot more, you know, coverage to the other languages has not been done. Yeah. So one of our suggestions is until we sort this out, perhaps English should become the language of business 
uh, and the medium of instruction in school. So that will be a nice segue into the education space, mm. Mm. right? Uh, because English, although it is also not a native language, it's almost the pain we share with the rest of the world, right? I just feel like while we are offended by English, we are more offended by Africans because it's personal for South Africans, especially for native South Africans, uh, until the investment is made. The other parts I wanted to touch on, which is really the thing I'm most excited about, Sizwe, is education, right? Yeah, let's, let's move on to Because to let's that, move yeah. to education and spend maybe four or five minutes on it. Mm. If you think about a whole of things that has played out in South Africa and you know uh, attempts on reconciliation and all of that, I think there is unsung heroes who have done more for reconciliation than any other effort. And, and we also have to be thankful to, for the political transition. And that unsung heroes, it is kids in multiracial schools. It is a small segment, I get it, mm. But if you think about what this small group has been able to do, it has brought up diehard racist grandfather with a diehard black inferiority grandfather. Mm. And it usually started with a grandparents night or sports day and mm. all of that. But you will be surprised how many people became family friends mm. by mm. because of the kids, right? Sure. Uh, and even this is not new. One of the, uh, the schools in the past, uh, Lovedale uh, mm. Missionary School, mm. that mm. has produced the, many of the yeah. luminaries, Govan Beggy yeah. and yeah. all of that, Steve Bigo, mm. Chris Honey mm. and all of that. And it was not, again, we have to resist tribal tendencies. It was mm. not because there was a Kosa intellectual mm. elite at a point in time. This school was started by a Scottish missionary society but they created a multiracial school. Yeah. The thing about multiracial school, it is very hard to sustain a white supremacy mm. idea mm. because you know that in your class, there is a Sizwe sure. who's, who's killing everyone <laughs> you know, in mm. maths and science. Mm. 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 So how do you go outside class and say there is white supremacy on mm. what basis? Mm. And you can see that even today, right? Uh, white supremacy is becoming difficult to entrench in private schools because mm. the award evening, mm. a black lady Mpo, comes on stage and cleans up everything. Mm. Now, how do you, if you are a child that's being told that you are white and you're superior, yeah. how do you deal with that because <laughs> you were not the one on stage? Mm. So we are obsessed about education because we need to create this inclusive environment. Mm. The thing about education, though, is, is the most complex of issues to sort out because it talks to parents, to communities and all of that. Mm. So our strong proposal, there's two strong proposals for us. Mm. One is we think public school, high school should be a boarding system, a compulsory boarding system. Why? Because to try and sort out the issues at every one of the schools in South Africa, is going to take more than 100 years mm. because of the 23,000 or so schools, hardly 3,000 of them have got the necessary facilities. Uh, in addition, you've got broken teachers, broken families, broken communities. We used to send people to the army for two to three years. Why are we not able to send kids to a safe environment for five years where when they come out, They've got a driver's license. They've got basic self-defense training, basic military training, starting your business, managing money, critical thinking. To try and achieve those outcomes in the current education system is not going to happen, right? And we then, in five years, now nah, don't buy this, all the things can only be solved in a generation. In five years, you will have a cohort of students that have received a very different public education. They will have yeah. their sports facilities. Mm. They will be together with other kids of cross races because yeah. today the schools are also still split by race. So it would be a multiracial environment. Absolutely. And, and how do you see that rolling out over time? Would you start with a certain number of boarding schools and then yeah. you know expand that out over time? Absolutely. You start yeah. with the first grade of high school. We don't yeah. have to go and build boarding schools for everyone mm. so we start with the cohort 
of people who are going into high school. Mm. You build that. As they go through the year, you are preparing the rest of the infrastructure mm. for their next year of high school. Mm. You keep on building, but by the time you get to the end of the five years, you will have a very different quality student. Mm. Because to try and provide quality teachers to 23,000 schools, it's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Right? But to try and provide quality teachers to 40 schools, 40 good schools with infrastructure, with sports facilities, with good coaches, that now suddenly seems doable. The issue is not money. Now, what do you do with the teachers that you have left at this school? These schools are busy closing on their own. There is also constantly the aging teacher population mm. because the teaching profession is no longer you know, attractive to young people. So natural attrition will sort that problem out, mm. right? Mm. Um, the second thing for us in terms of private schools, we, still, yeah. we think there will still be private schools. But because education is such, a is such an important developmental intervention, we think pricing of private education should be regulated. Hmm. It is near upset. You cover this in, in your book about the new apartheid, hmm. right? Hmm. It is upset that in a developing country like South Africa, you have schools that charge as much as 200000 a year. That is exclusionary. It is just downright ridiculous. And as a country, we have to say, we are so serious about creating this multiracial environment. We want as many people as possible to be able to get in. So our proposal is to cap that at something like 60,000 rand a year. That is already very high for many families in South Africa, but it will, it will allow a whole lot more people uh, to bring in their kids mm. and, and yeah and do you see do you see the state subsidizing that that education or or because some of these schools themselves would argue even though the fees are very high they're in they're in some tough financial situations we're even seeing private schools shut down no, no absolutely yeah, yeah. i mean so, so but if you look at what private schools mm. voluntarily charge today sure. You have private schools that charge around that 60000 and they are viable. Sure. And it is not because anyone has prescribed that. Which begs the question, mm. if you are paying two hundred, what is the additional 140000 for if it is not just for elite club mm. and exclusionary, mm. right? Uh, and I, I think also the idea that if something is regulated, it's not attractive to private sector is also not true. Sure. Right. The price of petrol is regulated. That has not stopped people from opening fuel stations. Mm. What lacks in South Africa is clarity on our priorities, mm. where we are willing to live with the trade-offs. Absolutely. In many right? ways, it's kind of like the, the sporting analogy you made earlier, which is we have infrastructure that's built for excellence, but we, we can't get people into that infrastructure uh, because they're exclusionary spaces. Absolutely. So how do we use the infrastructure as a country that we have Absolutely. to bring people into Absolutely. those centers of excellence? And in fact, if you sort out education, you start to see overlaps with other things. Mm -hmm. So uh, some of the high schools in South Africa occupy very prime land. Mm. So if you close them because you are moving these kids to this boarding system, where they are surrounded by a lot of land, a lot of space, those mm. who are in agri, they do practicals and all of that. Mm. Suddenly, in the middle of some of the high net worth suburbs, you have opened up a space that used to be occupied by a school. Mm. Suddenly, that gives you land that you can use for other social mm. measures. Mm. You know? mm. sure. Um, sure. So, so those key, and the last one is, of course, as we said, language. Yeah. Language, you know, so today, you know, it's, it's crazy that despite the history in 1976 and students being killed for, you know, Africans as a medium of instruction, a middle-income black people are teaching, you know, their kids. I'm teaching my kids Africans voluntarily, but that's not because I chose Africans. Mm -hmm. It's because I chose a school. And, and the curriculum requires that they do two languages, guess mm -hmm. which two languages, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I think we need to strip that because that also is a barrier for allowing more people to come in. 
I think English is sufficient as the academic language and the medium of instruction. There's views around early childhood. Mm. So that's why we're not interfering with what happens at primary and all of that. But from high school, uh, English should be the medium of instruction to allow as many people as possible to come in. So those are yeah. some of the ideas. No, absolutely. And um, as as we round off and, and we conclude um, and hope we can have more, more of these conversations because there are many different proposals. Um, on the language question, I guess the, the, the question which stands out is what about the preservation of African languages and, uh, you know, the importance of the preservation of not just language, but also culture that culture. Comes, com, comes with language. What, what are your thoughts around that? I, I hear the point about yeah. streamlining English, you know, simplifies things. Yeah. And then later we build the infrastructure to bring more in. Is yeah. that is that what you're thinking? Yeah, so so it's a good point, you mm. ask, a question you ask, because we think there is another category of education that we need to invest in. We mm. call it cultural education. Sure. So if you think what think about what has preserved or continue to uh, uh, grow the use of Africans as a language, uh, is because there are organizations, non-profit organizations. Mm. There's Africans, Kaltir and Dal, mm. Uh, mm. you know, AKTV, right? Yeah. This is an institution that is every day invested in growing mm. Africans as a language and as a culture. Sure. So we need to create the same thing for Spadi and mm. Isizulu mm. and all of that. They are not doing that as part of an academic program. Sure. It's a cultural education Not program. everything has to be a school thing. Not everything thing. has to yeah. be a school thing. Sure. You have sure. to say, this is what we do at school. Mm. But by the way, I want you to learn about your culture and your language, whatever. Mm. Then put me into a cultural uh, program mm. uh, as, as a parent. Uh, this is by no means a way of saying we must kill the rest of the languages. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's interesting that often this is where the pushback is, but if you look at all parties, interestingly, including IFP, Absolutely. which will be considered very Zulu, right? What do they say when they do their press releases, their manifestos, the, and all of the that? The State of the Nation Address. State of the Nation yeah. Address and all of that. So mm. it's like we rather hang on to this political notion mm. that you know these things are equally mm. valuable. Mm. But in practice, yeah. that's not the yeah. case. Well, Mr. Mohanwa, we've, we've had a really interesting, fascinating conversation on citizens, how it came about, but also where to from here. Uh, we just want to thank you very much for sharing your experiences and your uh, journey with us and some of the interesting proposals down for debate. We'll, we'll have more conversations in the comments. Let's debate these questions. But this has been an episode where we've been able to focus on solutions. And, you know, let's have a debate about where to from here um, in our country and what we need to do to to move the needle. So thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, I want to thank you for the opportunity. Mm. I mean, I brought some of my library okay. issues there. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, and because, you know, people must just read, you know, like I think the destructive TV content and social media content That's is not sure. going to help. You add to that drugs, then we have a missing generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see but, sapiens. But uh, you see sapiens. Great. Uh, then you see, so that's sapiens and yeah. then Rasi. So sapiens is like a long history of humanity. It's just humanity yeah. because in South Africa, some of the things that we think are racial, they're actually human. Sure, sure. Uh, and it's just that in South Africa, many things that are human and maybe class, mm. they took racial yeah. undertones. And something and happens we, when you look at the long absolutely, term of history. Absolutely. That's why I have a problem with something like a white monopoly capital. Mm. We must talk about behavior of capital sure. because more and more we're going to have non-white mm. mm, uh, capital. Sure. Uh, the Mutsipes and others. And then we're going to be confused mm. because they are going to behave the same way capital mm. has always behaved, mm. which meant the white was not a necessary mm. distinguishing mm. factor. It is actually just an, a behavior of capital. Sure. Rassi, you've got the I mean, Rassi book. Rassi is amazing. It talks yeah. about how to do. And then you've got a confession of a uh, economic hitman. Yeah. Okay. So this is more global economics. Uh, this is more and... global. It talks about why, you know, something like America is driven by primacy. They are not. I mean, it has been said. I mean, John Penkins even mentioned that even something like US aid, mm. 80 cents of every dollar in uh, eight finds its way back to America. 
right? Hmm. So when America comes with aid, hmm. they actually prescribe where you spend the money because that money must find its hmm. way back to. Hmm. So, it's, hmm. and then of course, wow, we have. I must say, the one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree fully with this. I agree fully with this. I think what I loved about this book, uh, mm. Sizwe, is mm. that, again, it demystifies things that we have seen to be about race. Mm. And the key takeaway from the book is actually, if you look at it, apartheid is continuing, but not al along the racial lines. I'm glad someone has you know, actually so read uh, it no, and, no, and I, not no, looked at the cover. Yeah, and then... Then Sampi, oh, wow. I love Sampi. Sampi talks about the inequality. My, this was a book that my dad recommended to me many years it's, ago. It's an amazing book. Yeah. I mean, I, I not only, be, uh, well, it's written by an African mm. professor, mm. Uh, but this is one of the guys who have had a front seat in yeah. the transition of South Africa. Absolutely. When business was meeting politicians and all mm. of that, when mm. they invited academics, uh, People like some people were there. Absolutely. I mean, he makes one of the points here that many Afro forums and those may not may not be happy with. Mm. He talks about how the Great Trek was triggered by the end of slavery. Absolutely, in, you know, and that's in a fact. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a fact. It's not these people who mm. were so deep about preserving. So it's, yeah. it's slavery. Yeah. It's the end of slavery in, in 1834 mm. that then triggered the Great Trek. Uh, and then you've got the last one here, which is. School oh, of great. Life. This is good just as a general book for sure. personal growth and for families mm. and all of that, mm. relationships mm. and all of that. Mm. Uh, the key takeaway from it is in many ways, we all don't know what we are doing and we are all broken in some way or other. Yeah. So when yeah. you feel like it is just you, actually, it turns out that all human beings are broken in some way or other. Mm and are also driven by self-interest. So uh, it is quite useful as part of thinking about even you know romantic relationships mm. and marriage mm. and all of that. Mm. Uh, I like these things that take the noise, sure. uh, which I think is the same thing you did with your book. Mm. You, mm. you were able to step outside yourself and say, yeah. okay, what's actually going on here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and these are some of my favorite books that people can check no, out thank you very much for sharing that with us as as smwx viewers you just got a, a a library sample from you know one of the most successful south africans in the corporate sector now in 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 this new sector this is what you get when you watch smwx book recommendations wisdom um and it's a very interesting combination boom spread the fire <laughs> <laughs> i won't say dubula inyang <laughs> Spread the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next thing there'll be tubuling <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks uh, very much thank for joining us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Aye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>